You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Visit JabberjawMedia.com for more shows like this one. Hello and welcome to episode 33 of the Manage Mental Podcast, a weekly discussion on hot topics in the music biz for the up-and-comers, the brand newbies, the beginners, and aspiring rock stars of tomorrow. Yes, the struggle is real, my friends, but let us help you uncover some of the mystery that is this challenging business of rock and roll. I am your host. Mr. Blasco, and I am excited to be here today. As always, I am joined by my good friend, the co-host from the other coast, a record label owner, fellow artist manager, and temporary West Coaster, Mr. Mike Mowry. Yeah, boy, live coming at you from Anaheim, California. And what's the name of that podcast thing you're at? I am, it's called Podcast Movement which is, I guess, kind of the biggest, or I could be wrong, but it seems to be the biggest podcast conference. Um, so they did it last year in Chicago, and I went for the first time, and they saddled up down here in Anaheim, right across from Disney. So I'm here, by the time this airs, I will be gone, but uh, I'm here today as we record on Thursday, and we'll be here all day tomorrow as well. And what would you, what would you estimate the attendance is at this thing? I'm going to guess it's probably in the, like, 1,500 to 2,000. Oh, okay. Signific- yeah. Significant, but I guess I was thinking it would be higher. Yeah, I-, I mean, it's interesting, you know, because what's the frame of reference, you know, for guys like us? I mean, if, if I had to say it in the most simple capacity, I'd say it's the South by Southwest of podcasting, right? Yeah. And so you and I have been to South by Southwest. It, you know, that's just massive. It's just, you know, so insane. And so... I mean, I think this thing has grown, and maybe I'm off. I mean, you know, it could be maybe an, maybe it's 2,500 or 3,000. I'm not great at estimating all those numbers, but I just think the professional community in podcasting that's, like, willing to go and be part of a conference is still pretty small. Yeah. Um, but it's cool. I mean, there's a lot of fun stuff going on, and, you know, in all of the aspects of my career, I always have tried to look outside of you know whatever the core is so in music i've always tried to look outside either to other genres or to what other people are doing and that's what's kind of fun about the podcast space and being here is it allows me to to bring my music mindset in um but also allows me to look at what's happening here and how can i apply some of this stuff back to um you know the music world nice Well, in our last episode, we talked about getting your songs onto Spotify Playlist. I think that was one of our best episodes, so check it out if you haven't already. Uh, This week, I found a great article on digitalmusicnews.com written by Paul Reznikoff titled, Nine Reasons You Aren't Getting Signed. Uh, And I guess like he uh, he pulled uh, a handful of uh, industry executives and uh and presidents and uh people of power um and he got their opinions as to uh potentially what you're doing wrong and how you can do it better so as usual we will include all links to the author and the article in the show notes this is going to be killer so let's get mental 
So, Mike, uh, what is new in your world? Dude, it has been a roller coaster, a whirlwind since, you know, we last connected. I Last time we spoke, I was quote-unquote on vacation, which, as I joked, I think I was working from another location, but it was awesome. Got some time away with the fam and with some great, you know, dear friends, and then we went eclipse chasing. And I know you got to experience totality, albeit a little bit differently than my experience, but I'm dying to know how was it for you? It was uh, it was interesting. I mean, we, 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 we played in a in a field in the middle of this giant wine vineyard, that, which is where the promoters put on this festival. I mean, it ended up being like three days. Like we saw like the five finger death punch dudes in the hotel and, you know, they played the night before. And so like. You know, it was a, it was a real festival thing, but we played specifically during the eclipse as it was happening. We went on stage at one twenty p.m. <laughs> and, and like we were joking, we we're like, "Oh, okay." Like six months ago, there was a couple of drunk rich people that owned vineyards or whatever that were going like, "Fuck, man, you know what would be awesome." Ozzy Osbourne playing Bark at the Moon just as the sun and the moon eclipse. That would be fucking awesome. And then they made it happen. Like, you know what I mean? To go from this completely totally. ridiculously <laughs> like drunken idea to, to execute it perfectly. Like, like, you know, like I'm not like I'm not a negative dude, you know, like, but I was like, I was pretty skeptical that they that this was going to pull off exactly as as you know, they had anticipated it. And when, it, when you're there and you're, you know, I'm there and I'm playing and, and it's in real time or whatever. And, and uh, you know, it felt it felt fucking awesome and equally as hilarious that we start playing and then the sun goes down. And the, dude, the fucking most hilarious part is we had a light guy with us just for the two minutes that we were in darkness. <laughs> That's yeah, exactly. <laughs> That guy's joking to his wife or whatever. You know, she's like, honey, you're going to be gone again, you know, on a Monday. He's like, you should see how much I'm getting paid for two minutes of work. No <laughs> doubt, man. So so as I'm there experiencing it, it felt good. And it, 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 you know what I mean? It seemed like everybody had a good time and whatever. But then Loudwire posted a fan filmed iPhone video of someone that captured the entire intro through the end of Bark at the Moon. And they, and they caught the... You know, they caught the performance and the eclipse as it as it happened and then as it dissipated. And uh, it's pretty cool. Like, I mean, e even if you're not a fan, the fact that it this idea got pulled off and that that video actually captured captured it. And whenever I watched it back, I was like, oh, wow, that was like much more spectacular than, <laughs> than I thought it was. Right. To where, right. to where if you were there, you saw something that you were never going to see again, right? And then, the, and then the, the other hilarious part is, you know, Ozzy's just like, you know, he's just rolling. He's having a good time. His shirt's off and and uh, and because it was like 120 degrees out there. But anyway, he was having a good time and just caught up in the moment. He asked the crowd, would you like us to come back and do this again next year? And, and we're like, oh, well... This won't actually be happening next year. <laughs> they're, Dude, they're, so 20, 2024 is the next time it happens in the U.S. Well, let's hope we're all still around by then. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, I got I to gotta admit, like, I would not have normally cared. But one of my best friends in the entire world, the guy that sang for Good Clean Fun, he's a huge nerd. Shout out to Mr. Issa. Great guy. 
and we, you know, we went all went to this beach house in North Carolina. And we were supposed to be able to just drive for two hours down towards Charleston, South Carolina, where you're in the path of totality. Turns out it's going to be cloudy and rainy there. So we all start looking at the weather map and trying to figure out where we can go within this path that it's going to be sunny. And so we set off on this mission at seven in the morning, knowing that this thing is going to happen at, you know, 238 or whatever where we were. But, you know, you also you don't want to just stop only for the time that, you know, it's completely eclipsed. You want to be there for the hour plus beforehand, you name it. So we're just driving and driving and driving. <laughs> and I have to say, like, turning it into a mission like that made me so, like, I was, like, hyped. You know, I was like, okay, now I've got a direction. It's not just I'm going to go sit out and wait for this thing to happen. So we finally go. I mean, dude, we ended up driving five hours oh to make God. sure that we were in the path. Like, and that there would be no, you know, clouds. And we had a couple people from our crew, like, dropping like flies. Some of them, like, went home early because they were like, we're not going to even bother. Another one stopped in a spot that we weren't, we weren't convinced that it wouldn't be cloudy there, although it turned out that it, it was fine. Uh, so we kept going another hour plus, you know, past that to make sure we were there. But I have to say, like, it was awesome. Like, and it's one of those things where if I hadn't been there and somebody was list, you know, spouting off on a podcast about how awesome it was, I'd still probably be like, sure, dude, whatever, you know. I, but that part where it completely eclipses that two minutes, if you're not distracted by playing on a stage, <laughs> is so unbelievably fascinating. Um, and you're right. Like no matter whether you're at a concert or whether you're just sitting in a park in Greenville, South Carolina, like you will, you, you know, you, uh, the next time I'll even have the chance to experience it in the U S is 2024. Um, so if you don't care about the eclipse or care about the fact that both of the people hosting the managemental podcast were in totality, sorry, we will now get on <laughs> to why you're and doesn't have a record deal. <laughs> oh my god. Um yes. Uh number 1. Number 1 reason potentially why you do not have a record deal or why you are not signed at present. You want it too much. The most interesting artists are the ones that don't need a label yet are most likely to get signed by one. They have strong followings, great music, work hard, and usually tour, and can survive on their own. In fact, labels often prefer artists that well-developed identities and mini-machines going because it saves them the work of having to build something from scratch. It also lowers their risk, which is huge in such an uncertain environment. More importantly, it also gives the artist far greater leverage in a negotiation because the only reason they need a label is to get to another level. Another level. Is that the next level or is that the next, next level? Mm, um, next. <laughs> I mean, this is, it's so interesting. Um, and of course, I think everything that he's saying makes sense, right? Like, yeah, everybody that, that is involved in music would love to touch something that is already all the hard, heavy, heavy lifting is already done. Um, that said, you know, one of the things that I like to do uh, and, and try to specialize in is identifying talent that I think could use 
some honing early on to give it that potential to, you know, to then put it on this platter or pedestal or whatever it is, you know, to, to get the attention of, you know, these labels or whoever it may be. So I'm a little mixed on this. Uh, I do think, of course, if you have all that, you're going to be in a much greater position. And I like the fact that he talks about leverage. Um, but inevitably, I don't know. I mean, I think the reason guys in a, and I'm wearing maybe my, my manager hat more than my label hat or vice versa. Um, you know, but I think like part of our, our value is we can take people and, and get them to these places. Yeah. I mean, I almost just didn't include this one. Um, just because I feel like we've kind of covered this on multiple episodes already where, but it kind of felt like a little bit of, uh, you know, justification in that reiterating in that this is the opinion of other executives sort of reiterating the things that we've already said multiple times on this podcast in that you got to build up your value. And when you build up your value in the negotiation, you have more leverage, right? I mean, if anything, that's kind of the blanket statement of what I wanted to pull out of this number one, but yeah. Yeah. And and, and I do, I think that's great. And so much of it is, you know, I, I deal with a lot of artists and a lot of developing artists and many of them think that it's just like, oh, Maori or, you know, Blasco, you know, the minute you get involved, then we'll immediately climb to the next level. You know, and I, I, it's funny, just before this, I was on a phone call with a band who has done some very impressive things. We've, you know, chartered on Billboard. We've just done two great tours, you know, and they're like, okay, you know, now when's the deal coming? You know, and you're just like, it's still going to be a minute, you know, like, yes, we've laid the foundation. Now, when I circle around and start to, you know, present it to, to labels, I can point to these things. I can say, look, we were on the Billboard charts. You know, these guys just did these couple tours. But that, even in and of itself, I'm like, you guys got to keep working. You've got to figure out how to continue to, you know, develop these socials and do all these things. So when they come and look at it, you know, without me talking in their ear, they're going to be able to assess and say, yeah, there's something real here. There's some real, you know, potential for us to take it to, as they say, another level. Yes. Number two. Your songs won't appeal to broad enough group of people. Uh, there are definitely niche labels that focus on specific genres. Nuclear Blast wants crushing death metal artists, not Jason Mraz lookalikes. But the bigger labels and publishers want big songs because those get the most mileage across radio, TV, streaming, and touring. Yeah. So, I, I mean, again, I don't think anything he's saying here doesn't just make sense. You know, it's sort of like common sense or maybe it's just intuitive industry sense that you and I have. Um, and there's nothing wrong with, you know, if you are crushing death metal, which you and I work with or have worked with those types of artists, or maybe we've been in those types of bands, you know, it's like there are some labels that really do specialize in that. But inevitably, you do have to look at where your potential uh, ceiling is and do understand that if someone's going to get involved and spend not only their money, but their time, you know, that's the thing I think you and I both can attest to that many of the listeners who we're hoping might be younger and positions we were once in. And I don't know if I quite understood the value of time back then, like I do now. Um, so sometimes it isn't even about the, <laughs> you know, the money at all. It's, it's the time that you spend on something if it's only going to get to a certain, you know, ceiling. 
Yeah. Number three, you aren't getting real engagement on Spotify. If you're buying plays on Spotify or paying for playlist inclusion, they can tell. So it has to be organic and it has to be real. I mean, we could, you know, no matter when you listen to this episode, you could insert something for Spotify. You know, whatever it is at the moment, we've watched YouTube where people bought plays and people could easily figure it out. You know, we've watched the socials, um, you know, but in our last episode, we covered ways to get on playlists. And even though I think it's a very, um, I don't want to say sneaky tactic, it's just a very resourceful tactic um, you do, you know, we're, we were talking about getting on human generated playlists and in that the human that is generating the playlist has to put you on there. Now, some people might not actually like your song and throw it on there anyway, but I think that might be a little bit weird, especially if you're not paying them. But again, just like any other time in the business, people in our positions can quickly see what is real and what isn't. And at the moment, everybody's pushing Spotify, so this makes exact sense. Get real engagement on Spotify. Yeah, I mean, look, our whole last episode was about getting playlisted. And um, so it's not, it's not so negative to hustle and when necessary to throw a few bucks at a situation to get some ears like on your music. Because look, no one creates art, makes music, to not be seen and not be heard, right? Like no, no one does that. Like, oh, I made this great record that I don't want anybody to hear. Like no, no, no one says that. So it, if there's an opportunity that people can hear you and potentially like you, you have to give, you have to chase down those opportunities and provide those opportunities. Like uh, there was this band that I was just talking to and they're like, yeah, we're going to self-release our record. And, you know, and, and, and I was like, okay, cool. So like, what's, What's the strategy? And they're like, what do you mean? And I go, well, you're just going to put it on Spotify and hope people listen to it? And he goes, yeah. And I go, I, I don't I don't know that that's going to work. <laughs> I think I think I think you got to like you, you got to like, you know, put, develop a strategy. You got to build, you know, you got to build your base so that like, for instance, you got to build up your, your Facebook followers. That way, whenever you do put a record out you you're marketing to somebody specific you know if you're not if you're not there yet you got to build that up no you're exactly right and i mean i teach a whole course on my outer loop coaching platform called release it right and it's about building up to the release of your whatever it is ep album and it's using the exact same you know it's, it's jumping off of what you just said like there has to be a strategy leading up to release if you want to get the results and in that course i talk about how you know Everything up to release date is really about, you know, building towards a first week, a great first week that, you know, you can then have, you know, you hopefully get on the charts, you name it. I also am fully aware and tell people like that's going away, right? Like it's still a valid tool <laughs> at the moment, yeah. but it's moving away. And what Spotify is, is really from release date onward, you know, and granted, if you're dropping singles, those will get on there earlier, but yes, you have to have a strategy. I mean, you, you said it so perfectly well right there. And I think that is what a lot of inexperienced people don't get. And it's hard because only through our experience, have we understood how it all ties together, 
you know, and if you're in a band and you complete a song or an EP or an album and you want to get it out there, it's like, I just want to get it out there, you know, just get it. And and you and I would say, no, 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 we need to have a plan in place so once it is out there, you actually get people to engage and listen to it. Yeah, so. which perfectly leads us into number four, you don't have a strong, no bullshit following on social networks. It doesn't have to look like Demi Lovato, but there has to be something going on. The song is paramount, but I use a lot of other criteria to evaluate it, says Ron Berman, the president of North America at Mascot Label Group and a 15-year veteran at Roadrunner Records. Uh, He says, if I go and check out their socials and there's nothing going on, it makes me a little bit leery to get involved because we don't have a huge machine. So it means I'm going to have to start at zero. And shout out to Ron. He signed Nickelback, if I uh, am, am not mistaken. And really, really good, smart guy. And, you know, what they're doing at Mascot now, I've been to that operation. It's very different than it was at Roadrunner when Roadrunner was an absolute machine and, you know, could cut through the clutter relatively quickly, which is why they had so much success year after year after year. But now, yeah, the playing field is leveled a little bit more. They don't have as large of a staff. And he does understand that, he's going to have to do a lot of work. And it does. It makes sense. Like, you know, I've got artists that we've signed, you know, on the label side that are continuously asking us, you know, well, why isn't this happening? Why isn't that happening? And I always point back, you know, it's got to start with you. Like, yes, we have people within my office, within my operation that can help you post on your socials. People know, you know, unless it's just a factual type of post that it's not the band. The band isn't there. They're not engaging. They're not working in the with the tools that do exist to to properly build and engage their fans which is massively important yeah i mean look once again this is another uh this is another number here where i was like man we, we we've crossed this bridge before multiple times on this podcast but look man if, if you don't take it from us take it from ron berman you know um that it's like you gotta you gotta build up your base um number five your little brother is your manager. <laughs> a real manager knows the deal. He isn't an amateur and he isn't wasting anyone's time. Preferably, your manager has done this before. Quote, they'll know the ropes. They will do a better job of negotiation. They'll help you establish the right contacts or already have them. The broager. The broager, um, yes. You know, and this uh, this is a challenging one because you and I have talked on many episodes. You know, our starts came from we weren't brothers with people, but we, you know, we had to start somewhere. And so this doesn't mean that somebody's brother can't do a good job, but they do need to know the deal. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And whoever it is isn't an amateur and isn't wasting anyone's time. And yeah, I preferably your manager has done this before. I mean, we've seen this is why you and I are very effective in getting artists signed and getting artists on tours and getting artists um, opportunities because the other professionals in the business know that if a band is on Outer Loop or a band is managed by Blasco at Mercenary, that there's going to be a level of professionalism that accompanies that. And that uh, there's nothing more frustrating than having to answer questions for somebody the first time around. Yeah, you know? like, totally. It's just like, no, man, I can't walk you through 
you know, the steps of getting <laughs> getting from the simple A to the simple B. Like that's just not a, in this day and age when everybody has to work with more and more and more because it's a volume more of a volume based business. There's no time for, um, yeah, I mean for amateurs. Yeah, and look, let's not throw little bros under the bus because, like you said, you and I at one point were little bros to to you know some band or whatever. But um, but I think it's I think the the sentiment here is like, don't be in a hurry to put someone the mix just to call them your manager. Um, I met with the band recently and. And they've got, you know, they had this, you know, they, oh, this, this one, these two guys are managing us and this one guy's doing this and this other guy's doing this. And it almost just kind of felt like they just wanted to be in the, in the cool kids club. You know, they just wanted to say that their band had a manager, but they're not, they aren't ready for one yet. You know what I mean? Like a manager, like I told them, I go, I go, guys, like a manager can't get you fans. Like you have to do that on your own. I mean, once once there's once there's a visual momentum happening, people like Mike and I, we can come in and we can you know put all the pieces together and start to help that that grow. But at it at the onset, the base has to be built from the band, you know, and you, and you gotta you gotta start doing that. Or labels and managers and publishers, those types of people aren't going to be interested. And that's really the message of this whole episode here, or, you know, the article. Number six, if you do get signed, you don't know how to stay signed. Artists that think getting signed means making it are sorely mistaken. Labels have always dropped underperforming artists, but the risk of losing a deal has only intensified over the years, all of which translates into increasing the commitment and intensity after getting a deal instead of slacking off yeah i mean this is the age old the real work doesn't start until the day you're signed you know which sounds sort of crazy because most artists it has taken them a very long time to get to a place where they are signed Mm -hmm. uh you know oftentimes multiple multiple years and so it it does feel like a ah now we can sit back and relax and someone else is able to guide us and take a little bit of the reins and, and be in control. But I think you and I would agree with this and have seen, you know, no matter what accomplishment you have achieved, and I think you should stop and smell the flowers and celebrate even the smallest accomplishments because it's a challenging business. And there's so many bands that, you know, would love to get signed, but then you have to sit down and refocus and say, okay, now that we've got more resources how do we take those additional resources, work even harder to surpass, you know, where we even thought we were going to be um, when we wanted this deal? Yeah, man. Um, it, it's like, how, how do you, you know, how do you say it? It's just like, it, you know, it's like this could be the best job in the world. You know, you have an opportunity here and if you think that it's just a party and look, there's plenty of people that have made this a party and are successful at it, but by and large, you have to separate the, 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 the business from the party. And I think that in the, in the digital age that we're living in, you need to think of your band more as a startup or treat it more as a startup than the after party, you know? And, uh, if it, it's like because I, I've just I've just seen it that way. I just see that the success 
comes from driven individuals that that know that they have to put in the work. And there's always time to party, you know. But if you only look at this as an excuse to party all the time, it's it's gonna be a, it's gonna be a tough road for you, I think. Oh, completely. I mean, you know, gone are the days, and I never got to experience the days where you know you could just rest on your laurels and i don't know if they ever existed but there's just no ability to do that now i mean there's so much stuff that has to happen we're just in such a content driven system and an engagement driven system now that it again as we mentioned earlier like it has to stem from the artists themselves and you know i've managed plenty of artists i have a number of them on my roster right now where you know, they still understand that there's work to be done and they still get up every single day and put that work in. And these are bands that, you know, have just come off of the Warp Tour, you know, that are, are selling thirty to 40,000 units or whatever it is, having massive plays on Spotify at this point, have great crowd engagement. And they're always, you know, we're strategizing together. How do we continue to make this thing grow and not in a phony way how it really we don't have it in this simple of um terms but the underlying current is there is how do we continue to you know engage and I, i'm looking for a better word than engage because it is so much deeper but how do we like really reward our existing fan base so they will continue to support us and at the same time continue to tell people about us you know, yep. whether that's in a digital medium, whether it's word of mouth, whether they drag their little brother to a show, it doesn't matter. But like, and and I think it, <laughs> this wraps pretty well full circle for me because until I'd sat in totality of an eclipse, I didn't, I couldn't even grasp it. Like I was like, whatever, you know, two minutes. How can that be worth it? How can traveling, you know, all this time, and then I didn't even talk about the traffic to get home, which took me two days, but still, that two minutes was absolutely worth it to me, and it's, it, it, as we, you know, our whole purpose of doing this podcast is, one, to have some fun with each other, but two, to educate people that we do know are looking at us as a resource, and I almost just can't stress enough that if you're not in it, like, you just can't quite grasp it. So take our word for it. <laughs> yeah. That's why we're here. We're here to tell you, like, we've been in it. We've been in it with multiple bands. And the ones that understand that, you know, that are still working each and every day, even when the biggest successes come in. I mean, dude, you had Andy freaking Black host the APMAs. He's in this amazing movie that's coming up, you know, this crazy fake band or whatever it is that's that's charting on, you know, number one song and videos out the, you know, it's like, there's no way that guy is like, all right, I'm good. You know, oh. I know that, you know, I don't know him, but I know him through you in terms of, of his work ethic. And I'm sure, you know, you've already probably had text from him this morning. Blasco, what's up with this? What are we doing? You know, because totally. that's the type. That's why he's where he is in some senses. Also, he's talented. Yeah. Um, but it's why he is not. That's why he will have a long term career. No doubt. That concludes episode 33. Thanks to everyone for tuning in. We will be back here next week 
In the meantime, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Blasco1313. We encourage you to email us any questions or comments you have for the podcast to me directly at askblasco at gmail.com. Because, hey, people, we do the show for you. Consider it a tool for understanding this ever-so-challenging and confusing business of music. If you have listened this far, much respect to you for making efforts to educate yourselves and taking your future into your own hands. Mike, any final parting thoughts? I love doing this with you. It's like sometimes I'm, I, you know, I, I'm funny. I'm at this podcast conference. I'm with a podcaster, a friend of mine. You know, we're rooming together. We're chilling. We're hanging out. He's a fan of our podcast. And, uh, you know, I was telling him the topic and, and he, whatever. And I just, I'm so thankful that we're able to do this. And I'm thankful for the feedback that we get. And I want everybody out there to, to feel free to send us feedback, rate us and review us, you know, on wherever you're listening to podcasts. Find me Twitter and Instagram at MikeOloop. And yeah, visit uh, more shows like this at JabberJawMedia.com. Thanks, brother. Awesome. Thanks, everybody. This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Bowie, Dylan, Marley. You've heard the names and maybe you've heard their songs, but what about the stories behind the records that made titans of music like these so universally loved and important? Join me, Josh Adam Myers, host of The 500, as each week I go through a different album from Rolling Stone Magazine's 500 Greatest Albums list from 2012 with an incredible lineup of comedians, actors, and musicians talking about how the music has impacted their lives. New episodes of The 500 come out every Wednesday. Listen now wherever you get your podcasts.